Well, first of us, we are uh, working through a series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We are just driving along, uh, kind of verse by verse, line by line, seeing what uh, the Holy Spirit has to say uh, to us through this book. And uh, today we are into chapter 2, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. And let me uh, just read our text here. It says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So God, we ask uh, that your Holy Spirit uh, would just speak to our hearts this morning. God, we want to receive everything that you have for us. We want to uh, be changed and transformed by your Spirit. And so, God, we just invite you to, to work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been uh, with us through this series so far, uh, we've seen that God, through Paul, has been writing this book. Uh, it's called 1 Corinthians. It's a, it's a letter that an apostle named Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And uh, in Corinth, it was kind of the sort of the Las Vegas of the day, or Amsterdam of, of today. Uh, very rich, uh, a lot of, you know, what stays in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, whatever that saying goes, happened in, in, in Corinth. It was kind of the crazy city, the party city. And, and uh, as well as the many temples to many gods and all the other stuff going on, the sexuality, there was this fascination in sort of the, the Greek world of, of, of wisdom. Uh, there was a fascination of uh, human ability. And, and Paul has been reminding them, as we saw last week, that this message will be a bit of continuous, same sort of theme, that Paul is reminding them that, yeah, human wisdom is pretty cool, and, and God can do great stuff through, 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 through humans, but, but God's power, God's power is amazing. The humans can do cool stuff, and we can be pretty smart sometimes, but God's power uh, can do the impossible. Um, and so he's going to be, just to this text, remind us again that, that we need to be trusting in, in God. Uh, we need, need to put our ultimate faith in what, God, in what God can do. And so he begins, he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And this is the, the mighty Apostle Paul saying this. <laughs> uh, the mighty church planter. Uh, the guy, if, if you read through Acts who faced so much persecution, and yet kept going. I mean, if you were to pick out one of the, the strongest men of the Bible, uh, he would be up there, at least in, in my category, maybe with King David and some of these people who were able to handle a lot of stuff. So why is he saying, I came to you in weakness with, not just a little bit of fear, but he says, great fear and trembling. And, and some scholars have different ideas. I mean, some people say that maybe, uh, maybe it was Paul when, when he was sick. There was some uh, possibility that at times he, were, he was sick, but that doesn't explain why he was afraid. Uh, others think that maybe when he walked into Corinth to plant the church, he looked around at, at the culture, and that gave him, made him kind of afraid. I'm not, I don't buy those two. I think more so, as other uh, interpreters say, that he was talking about uh, his, his humanness, his flesh. Uh, that in the natural, huh, he walks into Corinth to plant this church, and in the natural, he, he, he felt weak, and he was afraid, and he was trembling, because this was a task beyond his ability, in, in his human power. Uh, and sometimes we, we feel this way in our humanness. 
uh, that we, we are faced with something that is bigger than ourselves. And we might get afraid, we might even feel, feel weak in, in our humanness, but we've got to realize that we have the Spirit of God living in us. And that greater is He who is in us than in, in the world. And, and Paul is using this to say, in my humanness, I was afraid and I was weak, but I got God and you got God and we're able to accomplish big things. Because in the end, he says that our faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's, on God's power. And God is able to do far more than we can do in our humanness. Uh, Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Or Psalm 118, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And, uh, and, we, and we, at times, will put confidence in, in humans. I mean, we have our heroes, and we have our superstars, and then our culture kind of looks up to people. And that's okay in some ways, but our ultimate uh, desire is to be towards God. Because, again, there are times when we will run into situations where all of our human wisdom and all of our human strength can't accomplish the task. And there are just countless stories of how, through doctors or through struggles or whatever, there has been no answer, there's been no solution, and then God steps in with his wisdom and provides a miracle. In, uh, in Isaiah 31... It actually says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. And, and, and so we, we look to the Lord for help. Uh, he is our strength. He is our provider. Uh, yes, we do things in the natural. And we look at human wisdom at times, but our ultimate uh, uh, hope is in, is in Jesus. I mean, an example of this is in the Old Testament when the Assyrians were moving through Israel. And uh, the Assyrians were the, 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 the powerful uh, people of the day. And they, would, they were wiping out every single town throughout Israel. Even the big fortified cities, there was no possibility of, of defeating these Assyrians. And they would come into a village, destroy it. And they would take all the, oh, this is not too gross, but all the heads, they would stack them into pyramids to, to kind of scare other people away because he didn't mess with the Assyrians and they went town after town after town there was no town that could stop the Assyrians even the great fortified cities were were taken down by the Assyrians and then they arrive at Jerusalem's doorstep and they say we're going to take you down there's not been a single city out there who has stopped us there's been no army out there who has stopped us our wisdom is amazing our strength is is the most powerful the Assyrians said and of course, Hezekiah, who was the king, and Isaiah, who was the prophet, knew they had no chance in their humanness. They might be saying what Paul said, we were greatly afraid and weak in our humanness, but they didn't stop there. And we never stop there, because we have a relationship with a God who can do miracles. We have a relationship with a God who is incredibly powerful. And they go and they pray. And Hezekiah goes into the temple and they pray, and what humans could not accomplish, which was impossible in human strength, God accomplishes in one night and chases all those Assyrians away and it never come back. I mean, I mean, God can do the impossible. And there are so many stories, even here, where people were in impossible situations where they put all their human wisdom to it and they couldn't do it. 
They put all their human strength towards it, and they couldn't accomplish it. But in a moment and a flash, God gives them wisdom to solve the issue. In a moment, God steps in and does a miracle in their life. And all of a sudden, what humans could not do, God was able to do. And so ultimately, we don't put our ultimate trust in chariots or horses or man's wisdom. We put our ultimate trust in, in God. And this is the way that Paul actually preached. He says this about his preaching. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And he says that specifically because, again, as we saw last week, the people were uh, very impressed with the great orators of the day who would make their traveling journeys through Corinth and, and spout off their wisdom and their great oratorical skills. And, and Paul says, I, I didn't preach that way. Uh, Paul didn't spend all his time crafting his words to make sure that they were perfect and made sure that his sentence were, you know, is put in such a way that everybody's like, wow, it's an amazing sentence. He didn't spend all his time there. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. In other words, when Paul was done preaching, he didn't want people to say, wow, Paul, you're amazing. That was the most incredible poetic sentence you had in there. That was mind-blowing, Paul. Paul was like, he wanted people going away saying, isn't God amazing? Uh, look what Jesus did in my life through that message. It, 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 people are maybe feeling the, the move of the Spirit. And that's what that word demonstration means. Uh, it's a demonstration. When you do a demonstration, you are showing something. And the word to demonstrate means... Uh, to, to reveal the Holy Spirit, or to uh, the idea is the Holy Spirit made himself manifest, that God showed up when Paul preached, and lives were transformed. And when we talk about this idea of a demonstration of the Spirit or a manifestation of the Spirit, uh, we can compare it with, with God's omnipresence. We, we've talked about this before, but it's important to know these two differences. That God is omnipresent, but there are times when he can demonstrate himself or make himself manifest uh, is the word. And so God is omnipresent in his being. That God's whole being is present at every point and place in the universe. Uh, you can't get away from God. As Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. I mean, you can't get away from God's presence. You can put your head under a pillow, and he's there. You can, you can try to run away like Jonah did, and he's there. I mean, you can run to Pluto, and, and he's out there. And uh, it doesn't matter if you believe in God or don't believe in God. He's there. I mean, you can't get away from his presence. And this is why we need to trust in that promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Because... Wherever you are, there he is. <laughs> Wherever you are, God just happens to be there because he's omnipresent. He is omnipresent. But the Bible all over the place also talks about this idea of God manifesting his presence. That even though God is everywhere in the universe, every single place, uh, uh, God will display or make known or demonstrate his presence at times. Uh, we know God is everywhere, but there are times when we will say things like this. Wow, God was really at church today. The Holy Spirit really showed up. I could sense his presence. No, no, duh. Some people say, well, God's always there. God's everywhere. No, when you say those ideas that God was really there, I really felt God, we're talking about his manifest presence. That God 
displayed or made known or demonstrated his presence in a way that we maybe saw it or see it or, or feel it or experience it. And of course we see this uh, all throughout the scripture. There are times when God will manifest his presence. Like in Genesis 28. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Uh, God is everywhere, yes, but God specifically manifested himself to uh, Jacob in that moment. Uh, in Exodus 33, you actually you see God using this language of manifest presence. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And Moses didn't go, well, duh, God, you're everywhere. I mean, what do you mean your presence is going to go with me? Your presence is everywhere. That makes no sense. No, God is talking about his manifest presence. That is his presence to bless, his, his presence to display his power was going to go with, with Moses. And so when we, when we pray things like this, God, I pray you would show up. I mean, we understand that God's already there, but what we're praying is that God would reveal his power or that he would manifest himself to bless in that moment. Or Exodus 40, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, technically God was already there because <laughs> he's omnipresent. But when he fills the tabernacle, uh, he's talking about his, again, this idea of his manifest presence. Uh, the Mo uh, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So uh, God showed up in such a way uh, that there was such power in that tabernacle that the Moses couldn't even go in. And sometimes the presence of God or the manifest presence of God can be, can be very tangible and can be felt uh, very powerfully. And so when Paul um, talks here about a demonstration of the power, that's what he's talking about. That when he preaches, that God manifests himself, that God shows up. And God transforms in a way that people leave saying, not Paul, that was amazing. They're saying, wow, God changed my life. God really showed up in the meeting. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. And to think that he only said this once, whenever Paul describes his preaching, he uses this language of the power of God showing up. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. His sermons were not just words. His sermons were not with wise and persuasive words. But there was, when he preached, the power of God was in the room. So much so, he said, our gospel didn't just come to you with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and actually deep conviction. Sometimes the manifestation of the Spirit, when the Spirit is really at work in the room, just anything that's not kingdom just begins to convict us, and we just went it out. And sometimes in revival, people will just repent and, and there will be just mass repentance because the manifestation of the Spirit is so heavy in the room and He is so good and so loving and so pure that any darkness in us, we, we just want it out of us. And so when Paul preached, there are times when there is deep conviction in the room. There is a power of the Holy Spirit felt. At other times, there were miracles and signs and wonders. In Romans, he describes it this way. Again, describing his preaching. What Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. So, he's, he's not, again, not just by words and actions. There's actually a power behind his ministry. He says this, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So, again, it's not just wise and persuasive words. 
It's not just simply words. It's not just words and actions. But there, there is this power where at times there is deep conviction. At times maybe the Holy Spirit was sent. At times there were signs and wonders, which is just a fancy word for miracles. Things that don't happen in, in, in humans, perhaps. And we see this at times in Acts. I mean, Paul was preaching along, and he looked out and saw someone who had faith to be healed, and instantly that person is healed. I mean, there are times, especially throughout raw Bible history, where through worship and, and, and just preaching, there have been just people being healed and transformed and, 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 and sin melting away as they just experience the power of God moving in the room. And, and this is how Paul describes his preaching. Not just with words, but there, the power of God is at work. And, and this text in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 has actually been at the top of my journal for the last probably two and a half years. I almost read it probably like three or four times a week. Just intrigued with it. God has just been calling me more into this because, I mean, I think this is what normal preaching is supposed to be like. That's right. There is to be the power of God at work. It's not just to be, like, who needs another sermon? <laughs> I mean, who needs another? Who needs another song? Uh, we don't need another song. We don't need another sermon. We need the transformative power of God. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit's work. We need His conviction and His life and His love. And God uses songs and He uses sermons. Uh, but but there's lots of times when people just give words. There's lots of times when people just you know spout off a song. Uh, but we want not wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power by signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, through deep conviction and the, uh, the revealing of the Holy Spirit. That's what transforms lives. And so I've been praying into this verse, and, and I would just encourage you to pray into this text as well. And, and this is the way it seems that Christianity was. And, and still can be, especially through revival history, we see this kind of idea of this text popping up in various circles. In Acts chapter 2, it happened. I mean, there's a day of Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit comes down. Uh, the, the masses begin to, the, the disciples begin to speak in tongues, which is kind of a sign and a wonder. And there's this miracle that happened. And then Peter begins to preach. And I don't know if you've ever read a sermon in Acts 2, but I think it's boring. Not a very good sermon, I don't think. Uh, but this is what it says. Because again, it's not always about wise and persuasive words. It's about the demonstration of the whole, it's about the Holy Spirit working. It's not the most exciting sermon, but it says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message and uh, message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That doesn't happen with human strength. And again, the sermon's not that great, but 3,000 people were transformed by the power of God. Because the Holy Spirit was at work, the power of God, because it wasn't just preaching with wise and persuasive words. There was a demonstration of, of the Spirit's power. There were signs and wonders. There was deep conviction in the sense that people were like, what do we need to do? I, I don't want darkness in me anymore. And, and, and this hopefully not only inspires me, but inspires all of you. Because every one of you have a ministry. Maybe not be up here talking. Maybe a ministry of encouragement. It may be a ministry that you're just reaching out with love to those people in your workplace. It may be a ministry of service. Whatever it might be, whatever that ministry was, it shouldn't just be done in human strength and service. But done in a way that there is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
so that your words of encouragement aren't just words that are nice and, and cozy, but when someone gets those words of encouragement, there's, there's this power behind that, and, and they're transformed. That when you serve somebody, that's not just serving out of your own strength, but there, there's a, there's a you know, Holy Spiritness about what you're doing, and people just, just sense something different about you. That's what he's talking about here, that there should be power in, because God's in us. And so often we just want to live life out of our own strength. And this is not what God wants. God wants to live our lives. Yes, we do what we can. And, and yes, Paul's not saying here that you don't prepare for a sermon. I mean, who wants to come to somebody who's never done any prep? I mean, that's, that's no good. Uh, I'm sure he prepared, but I tell you, he prayed. And he looked to faith into, into what God is doing. And there's lots of cool, cool examples of this. Some of the most amazing, you know, top 10, top 20 preachers and ministers of history were people who understood this text. People who maybe didn't preach with wise and persuasive words, but were powerful. One of those guys is D.L. Moody. Uh, I like D.L. Moody. He was just, he had a lot of faith. He said things like this, if God is your partner, make your plans big. Right? If you only do what you can do in your humanness, you're not going to see a lot of miracles. You always want to make your plans big, bigger than what you can do, because, again, God is there. But he only went to grade five education. Uh, he couldn't read very well. He couldn't even speak all that well. But God uh, began to call him into ministry to preach. And the churches didn't really accept him much, but he started with kind of Sunday school ministry. And eventually he, he, he begins to, to do some preaching. And as he was preaching, there were these two ladies in the front row that were always praying for him. And he would always get annoyed with them. Because he'd be like, don't pray for me. I'm the, I'm the preacher. Pray for those people out there. They need prayer. But these two ladies were like, no, you need the power of God. You're just spouting off words, but you need the power of God. And eventually he began to get it. Eventually he allowed them to pray uh, into them, and, and he made this commitment as well. He, he said this. I, heard someone, uh, I once heard someone say, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through, and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And D.L. Moody says, that statement took hold of me. I thought to myself, he did not say a great man, or a learned man, or a rich man, or an eloquent man, or a clever man, a simple man. Well, I am a man. It lies uh, with uh, the man himself, whether he will or will not make that full and entire consecration. I will try the utmost to be that man. And he just, he just lays himself down at the feet of Jesus and surrender. And at the same time, these ladies are praying for him. And then he has this experience with the Holy Spirit. And this is an example of God's manifest presence. He says, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. He has this powerful experience of the Holy Spirit. And from that day forth, even though he was not the best speaker or the best reader, his ministry had this incredible power. Uh, he ended up traveling all throughout North America, all over Europe. Uh, he influenced some of the most amazing people, like Hudson Taylor uh, was influenced by, uh, by D.L. Moody and his preaching. There's now, uh, of course, the Moody Institute and all that stuff. He had a power. He preached to 100 million people. In a day where there were no cars, you just like boat, train, walking, and horseback. Powerful, powerful ministry. 
But I like this. One day, a critic came up to him and said this. You ought not to speak in public because you make so many mistakes in grammar. <laughs> and Moody says this. I know I make mistakes and I lack a great many things, but I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. But look here, friend. You have grammar enough. What are you doing with it for Jesus? Huh? <laughs> yeah. uh, he was not a wise and persuasive kind of preacher. But, I mean, hundreds of thousands were saved. There was this power about his ministry. In fact, he says this, I know perfectly well that wherever I go and preach, there are many better preachers than I am. All that I can say about it is that the Lord uses me. You see, you don't have to be the wisest cookie in the jar. You don't have to be the, the most salty cracker in the bag. I mean, God can use you. Don't let your human abilities, your human weaknesses, your human struggles stop you from doing big things. And God can do incredible things through you if you just surrender and look to him and allow him to work. Another example is Jonathan Edwards. Now, this guy is known as one of the greatest theologians in church history. But he was really, really lame as a preacher. And so they say, uh, in fact, uh, one uh, professor said this, we would hardly have called him a dynamic preacher. He laboriously read every word from a manuscript. Not only that, his eyesight and writing were so poor, he held the manuscript only inches from his nose, rarely looking at the congregation. Some people say he was the most boring preacher of all history. <laughs> But it's not always about wise and persuasive words because God used this man to, he was one of the, the fuels behind the, the Great Awakening. Uh, he is credited with 50,000 salvations. Uh, he was president of Princeton University. I mean, God did incredible things. But when he preached these, I mean, you'd never think that God would show up, you know, if, at a place where the, the preacher is just monotone and boring and reading like this. But for some reason, God showed up in power and lives were transformed. You know what Paul said in Romans? You know, it's not just about my words, but there are times when there are demonstrations of, uh, of signs and wonders and, and power at work. This is what would happen in, in his meetings. He, he said things like this. Uh, the affection was quickly propagated throughout the room. Many of the young people and children that were professors, that's professors of, of faith, appeared to be overcome with a sense of the greatness and glory of divine things. And with admiration, love, joy, and praise, and compassion to others that looked upon themselves as in a state of nature. And many others at the same time were overcome with distress about their sinful and miserable estate and condition, so that the whole room was full of nothing but outcries, faintings, and the like. It was a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries, faintings, convulsions, and such, and such like, both with distress and also with admiration and joy. It was pretty often so that there were some that were so affected and their bodies so overcome that they could not go home. They were obliged to stay all night where they were. Many of their religious affections being raised far beyond that uh, they had ever uh, been before. And there were some instances of persons lying in a sort of trance, remaining perhaps for a whole 24 hours motionless and with their senses locked up. 
being in the meantime under strong imaginations as though they, were, they went to heaven and had their vision of glorious and delightful objects. I mean, there's these strange things, these powerful things going on in, in his meetings. I mean, there's the power of God. And, and again, thousands and thousands of people have changed in his ministry. I mean, you may think that you're not great, but God can do great things for you. Don't ever again, I mean, he, even though he maybe shouldn't have been the preacher because he was boring, I mean, God, I mean, did incredible things for him because he had the heart for Jesus. Because he was not relying on his own strength, but on the power of God. And it's a call to all of us to be willing to step out and, as Moody said, plan big things because you have a great God inside you. And sometimes we see this throughout the Bible. Again, you may say, well, it's kind of strange people being on the floor for 24 hours or whatever. I'm like people crying out. There are times when God's manifest presence uh, can have a real physical reaction. In Acts chapter 4, this is the apostles praying. And then they're praying, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy ser servant Jesus. I mean, the apostles were praying for God to manifest his presence. That's exactly what they're praying for. God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I mean, the, I mean, the room actually shook. That's, that's, that's God's manifest presence. Uh, we see in Samuel, it said the Spirit of God came up, even upon Saul. And he too began to prophesy. All the way to Naoth. Now, sometimes weird things happen like this. He tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, what? Is this even Saul, a prophet? Um, or we see in, in John chapter 18, when, when Jesus says, I am he. All of the soldiers, that they, it says they, they fall to the ground. That's a manifestation of God's presence. When Jesus has to say a word, and all of a sudden the glory is so strong that nobody can stand. Or 2 Chronicles, the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. And if you read through revival history, that, that often revivals are filled, again, with this idea of God showing up so powerfully in a room. And it's not dependent on a, an amazing preacher or an amazing band, but often a revival is just the presence of God is so strong that nobody wants to leave. The people just feel the power of God at work. They just sense the power of God. And when the power of God is really strong, uh, people react in different ways. Uh, I mean, if you've been on a, like a crazy roller coaster before, it is one of those experiences that's just out of this world, right? And people don't know what to do with that. These, these kind of outer world experiences that are so crazy, people react in different ways. Some people, even like stoic people, will scream their heads off, right? Uh, some people will laugh their heads off. I mean, some people just freeze. Uh, all kinds of reactions when something abnormal happens to us. And it's going to be the same thing when God shows up powerfully in a meeting. Sometimes people don't know how to handle the presence of God. Because there's something so powerful in the room that at times people, like in Edwards' meeting, will cry out or shout out or, or laugh or whatever. Sometimes people don't know how to handle the, the, the power of God because it's, it, it can at times seem like this is, this is really weird. It's just, this is really different. And that's the testimony of revival history. And that can be scary. Because we don't like losing control. <laughs> we don't like these senses that are weird. Uh, it can be very scary, just like a roller coaster is scary. 
And this is why some people run from revival. Uh, and the thing with revival that you need to know, because we're praying for revival, is that whenever the Holy Spirit begins to work powerfully, Satan will also begin to work. I mean, uh, Satan looks out at a church where nothing's happening, people aren't hungry for God. He's like, I already got them. He looks at a church where people are hungry, where they're praying for revival, they're, they're, they're surrendering and, and, and repenting of sin, and God begins to work and bring revival into that church, you will guarantee Satan's going to begin working as well. And this always makes revival messy. Uh, there's never been a revival in history that hasn't been messy. Because God's at work, and Satan's at work. The wheat and the tares are often together, and, uh, and, and sometimes, and this is why you'll see sometimes in revival history that the, the leader will sin and fall because Satan got in there, or uh, Satan will begin to rise up someone else to, who wants to take over power, or you know, things that are really not of God begin to happen, and, and because, I mean, God's at work, but Satan tries to shut it down. But in the end, uh, we shouldn't ever be afraid of revival. In fact, I really like the statement of Doc, uh, Dr. Jack Deere. He said this, All fear of the devil is a rational fear. No Christian should ever fear Satan or any demon. The only person a Christian is taught to fear in the New Testament is God himself. If God is the cause of these manifestations, he will use them for good. If the devil is the cause of a particular manifestation, it can be stopped through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. In either case, we have no scriptural basis for fearing physical manifestations. But if revival has come, uh, you've got to be discerning, you've got to be wary. God will be at work, Satan will be at work. We want to press into Jesus, we want to stay close to Jesus, we want to walk that way uh, if we can. But normal Christianity, and, and, and Blackaby talks about this, how revival is really God bringing people back to normal Christianity. <laughs> the normal Christianity is, is to have an element of power, is to have an element of the supernatural because God is at work. In fact, Paul says this to the Corinthians, and maybe we'll talk more about this when we get there. We're almost done here. Paul says this, I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. There were other leaders in the Corinthian church who were trying to kind of take over who were trying to, to gain power and try to steer the church away from what Paul was, was saying. And Paul says, okay, well, I'll come and I'll check out these leaders. And he says, I will check out what kind of power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talking. Anybody can talk. Any of you, you might be scared, but any of you can come up here and talk. <laughs> uh, anybody can talk. Anybody can, can do stuff. But the, the question is, is the Holy Spirit at work? Is God saying... I agree with that ministry, and I can put my anointing on that ministry, and there's going to be power behind that ministry. That's what Paul's saying. That the kingdom of God is not just a matter of talk, but of power. And again, this is a call to all of us. And whatever ministry you have, whatever God has called you to do, it's not just a matter of walking in your humanness. It's not just a matter of walking in your own abilities. There should be a certain supernatural power about what you're doing. Because the kingdom of God is... Uh, about power. In fact, Paul warns us in the last days. He describes all these things that will happen in the last days, and then he says this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. 
And, and there are churches who, you know, have a form of godliness, but they don't want anything to do with power. They don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. Because that's scary. A pretty certain warning have nothing to do with such people. Because again, we have a supernatural God living in us. Greater is he is innocent in the world. And, and if you want to see uh, a greater move of God, I mean, it always comes down to prayer. There's never been a revival, uh, as historians trace revival, there's never been a revival without uh, just a passionate prayers of people. The revivals are, are, are birthed when people are hungry and they want to see the move of God. And so I would encourage you to keep on praying. Pray that give us wisdom. Pray that God would give us discernment. But just pray that God would work. In fact, Moses prayed this kind of prayer in Exodus 33. He says this, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You see, we should be distinguishable because we have the power of God in us. But Moses said, I don't want to go out in my human strength. I don't want to go out in my humanness. We need your presence, Lord. And it's been on my heart for my preaching that I need your presence because who needs another sermon? But we need your presence to be at work. And I pray that you be praying the same thing about your ministry. You be praying the same thing uh, for me. And also, uh, this idea of God showing up, this idea of God at work, happens when we just have faith in the reality that God is actually here. Look what Paul says later. This is the last verse. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Remember how messy this church was? It was so messy, none of us would ever go to this church. But Paul still says this. So when you are assembled, I am with you in spirit. And he says this, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. So that means right here, right now, the power of the Lord Jesus is present. And so I hope you don't leave here the same. I hope you don't leave here with a closed heart, but to open your heart to what God wants to do in and through you. So Jesus, I pray you would open our hearts to this reality that you are always with us. Your power in us is greater than anything we can face in this world. And God, I just put a challenge upon all of our plans and ministries. God, you are so big. May we plan big. God, I pray we would only we would be stepping out into, into areas of life where we're like, God, like Moses, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, this is not going to work. <laughs> God, I pray you would give us bold praying. God, you would give us deep repentance. God, that any darkness in us that doesn't line up with you would just go in Jesus' name. I pray you would fill us so deep and powerfully with the Father's love. God, that we just love deeply every single person we meet. So God, continue to work in us in deep and powerful ways. Give us discernment. God, give us love. In Jesus' name, amen.